Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul, Lolita. The tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Lolita. Okay, you're seriously creeping me out right now. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Welcome to this episode of Outside of a Dog. My name is Jonas. And I'm Christian. Hi. This week we read Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Or Nabokov, whatever you like more. Ah, yeah. The book that gave its name to so many slightly creepy depictions of underage girls in somehow sexy or eroticized fashion. It was written by Nabokov in the 1950s. It took a long time before he actually found a publisher. And it was published in 1955, first in Paris by Olympia Press. A publisher usually more on the, let's call it, erotic side the book is narrated in the first person by Humbert Humbert, a man in his late 30s of mixed European origin and Swiss nationality, who lives in the United States in the 1940s and early 1950s, and he falls in love or lust with the 12-year-old daughter of his landlady, Dolores, whom he calls Lolita. He tells the reader about his obsession with underage girls, which he calls nymphettes, and tells the reader the story of how he met Lolita, how he married her mother, so became her stepfather, how the mother died, and he then took Lolita on a cross-country road trip in the car, during which he started a sexual relationship with her, settling down in a college town for a short while before going on another road trip, and then she fled from him and joined another grown-up man, a playwright. He finally finds her again when she is 18 years old. She is by this time married, but not to the playwright. She ran away from him fairly soon after running away from Humbert. And now she's married to a man of her age, and she's very pregnant. He kills the playwright, is arrested for the murder, and the book is presented as his autobiography, written in prison as part of his therapy. Yes. Obviously, the nature of the book and its turbulent plot made it an easy target. And for a long time, it was considered basically pornography, although there is no pornographic scene of any kind detailed. But very soon, it also had its proponents. It soon became a, a rapid bestseller and was soon turned into a film by Stanley Kubrick. So we have a book that is immensely successful, immensely controversial for its subject matter, but is also considered a real modern or even postmodern classic. So the perfect subject for our podcast then. And that brings me really nicely to my first question, Christian. I want to ask you, is this an erotic novel? Well, depends really on how you define an erotic novel. It is erotic in the sense that it details certain varieties of love, but mainly lust. That's actually one of the most controversial things that you might charge Lolita with, that you feel with Humbert Humbert, you feel with this pedophile, you really feel his 
obsession, his anxiousness, his despair, his hopes, and the way he describes pining for this underage girl, his plans how to conquer her, and his description of what he considers love and his despair when he loses that love, yeah, you can't help but feel with that, no matter how creepy and how perverse he comes across. And in that sense, you feel the eroticism. This is, yes, this is a, an erotic book. This is a sexy book that really manages to portray this feeling of being thrilled, of hoping, not daring to hope, of trying to come close to your object of desire and not really managing. And the eroticism of that, rather than the eroticism of pure and simple sex, I think, yeah, this is a, an erotic book. I would disagree with that. I definitely agree that the question whether it is an erotic novel or not comes down to what we mean by an erotic novel. But I would say that in order for it to be an erotic novel, it implies that there is titillation, that reading the book tickles something in the reader's nether regions or just the reader's imagination, that the reader... But it, it does, doesn't it? Well, that's just you, you sick fuck. Maybe. But that's exactly the point, that the book manages to convey that feeling in such a yeah, manner that you forget that this is an older guy pining for a 12-year-old girl. I agree with you partly. When I first read the book five years ago, I felt like that too. I felt that I was introduced to this guy's mind and that I saw things through his eyes and therefore I could feel with him. When I reread it now, I felt completely different. I felt much more distanced from the character. And the first part of the book, where he describes his obsession with these nymphettes, as he calls them, and where he describes meeting Dolores, and where he describes pining for her, there I also felt with him, but I was more distanced because I had the knowledge of what will come afterwards. And then later, as his actions become more and more horrid, I felt appalled by him. And I felt that I really wanted to build up this distance between me and this monster. There are a couple of scenes where his monstrosity really comes out. For example, in one scene, he describes that he wishes he could caress not only Dolores' skin, but also that he could turn her inside out and kiss her organs. That is just deeply disturbing. At one point, he also imagines taking Dolores to Mexico, marrying her there after she is old enough, and then having a daughter with her, then abusing that daughter in order to father his daughter-granddaughter, and then abusing her as well. This is on the level of some of the notorious child abuse cases we have seen in the last years. It's the same level of disgustingness. So when I reread the book, I really felt, no, wait, this guy is trying to convince me with his beautiful language, which is exquisite, really. But I sort of felt that I put on armor to defend myself against this intrusion of this monster. But that is the beautiful thing, that both of these readings are very much in the text. Yes. That from the very beginning, we have this nice foreword by, what's his name, John Ray, a kind of publisher come commentator who discusses this as a case study. And he basically warns us. He says that Humbert Humbert may have a wonderful style and that we may start to feel for him, but that he's also very sick and perverse 
And we know that from the beginning. Even Humbert Humbert tells us, yes, a fancy prose style is something that you can expect from a murderer. So he doesn't sugarcoat it, at least that detail. But it works. Yes. And that is a nice effect that you first get pulled in by this very seductive voice. And then you realize that you've been had. You've fallen for his very charming prose. And then in the second part of the book where he actually starts having this horrible abusive relationship, you start feeling that you've been tricked into sympathizing with this inhuman being. But at the same time, the horrible thing is that it follows a certain logic that when you've started to follow his way of thinking that this is pure love of some kind, then the step towards these horrible scenarios that you've presented is not that far. And the moment you realize that, you can go, hang on, that is really, really fucked up. And then again, you mentioned that the second part, you wanted to distance yourself. But I think in the second part, when Lolita leaves him, we're coming much, much closer again, because then Humbert Humbert is presented less as a monster, but more as a pretty pitiful, pathetic human being who's lost the one thing that he really, really loves. And he can't get it back. That makes him much more sympathetic than in the beginning, when he's the loving, enchanted hunter. I don't think so. Because all I felt, at least in this second reading, was, well, good. I cheered for Lolita to get away, and I sort of felt that uh, Humbert Humbert had, well, he had not been punished sufficiently, but he had got what was coming to him, and all his protestations of remorse and all his laments of having lost the one thing that he really wanted, the one thing he really loved, seemed phony to me, and I thought, well, as far as the remorse was concerned, too little too late, you should have not done these horrible things, you monster, and as far as the pining was concerned, I thought, well, you shouldn't have had her in the first place, so screw you. Maybe that is true, maybe he doesn't show enough remorse and his self-realization doesn't change the fact that he has been horrid and monstrous before but it doesn't change the way the story goes and the one thing you said that Lolita got away she didn't get away she just went into the arms of another pedophile and in the end when we see her she is happy maybe according to some standards married to a man of her own age and pregnant part of a little family but when we see her she didn't get away she never had a chance. She will be fucked up for the rest of her life. Not really a life worth living. Her life was in shreds, definitely. But I think that the end of the novel, the very end, actually prevents freedom in death. Because Humbert Humbert closes the novel with saying that he hopes Lolita will have a long life. He hopes that she will die in the early 2000s, actually, as a woman of 80 or 90, and that only then the book will be published. But because the book was, of course, published in the 50s, at least in the fictional reality of this, that means that we know Lolita died at a very young age. And we already know that from the prologue, though it's an oblique reference, because she is referred to as Miss Richard Schiller, which uh, is her married name, rather than as referred to as Lolita or Dolores. And that already it gives us a hint, by the way. The book itself is called Lolita, and that is the pet name Humbert has for her. Yes. And he mentions in the beginning the different names she has in different contexts. Yes. For him, she was always Lolita. And so for us, she's only Lolita. And she doesn't get her own voice. She doesn't get her own name. She 
remains a secondary character in her own story. And it is really ironic in the prologue that he says, oh, everyone has been anonymized except for Lolita because her name is too closely linked with the story, but her last name only rhymes with her real last name, to which I say, well, that's not a very good anonymization, is it? Whereas Humbert Humbert got to choose his own pseudonym. He talks about that, that he actually tried out several pseudonyms, and he changes the pseudonym from Humbert Humbert to Hamburg Hamburg or something throughout the novel. So he is completely anonymous. He gets off scot-free, but she stays Lolita. And I was going to say, the worst thing he does to her, he clings onto her in death. He closes the novel with saying, I hope that you have a long life. I hope that this book will not be published until the early 2000s. But in death, we will be united. And in death, you will always be my Lolita. Isn't that romantic? It is fucked up. <laughs> it is so sick. You know, it sets up this idea of the star-crossed lovers like Romeo and Juliet. But no, this old creep still has his rotting corpse hands on this young girl and even in death she cannot escape him because the only existence she has now is not as her own person not as the wife of the man that she chose to marry not as the mother of the child that she died giving birth to the only identity she still has is as the girl who was raped by her stepfather i think then again that is a, let's put it this way, a realistic depiction of love and lust in general. And yeah, that glosses over the fact that in this case it's a child. But what I think Nabokov does is to show that even in such a monstrous and perverted obsession, there is the same impetus, the same feeling, the same romanticism as in any other love story. You mentioned Romeo and Juliet. Well, they had a love story that was also very creepy, kind of obsessive, and didn't end very well. And if you consider Romeo and Juliet to be, I don't know, the pinnacle of romanticism, your view is just as wrong in a different way, maybe, but just as wrong as Humbert Humbert's is. Well, Nabokov does take all the dark and twisted things about romance and about the over-idealization and falsification of the romantic other to an extreme, yes. But that means this is an extremely twisted and disturbed form of romance that is unrecognizable. It's romance in a distorted funhouse mirror viewed through a prism with, with the eyes half closed. But it's still a valid view. What is also important is that Nabokov makes very clear that this is not his view or real. Maybe therefore my definition of it being more realistic is also wrong. What Nabokov does, he makes very clear that Humbert Humbert presents to us his view. His distorted, his unreliable, very clearly unreliable subjective and obsessive view. And even leaving out Dolores's view is a kind of gap with a message telling us to not only not trust Humbert Humbert, but to come up with our own version, that this view is only one version that is just as unrealistic and horrible and distorted as it is romantic and despairing and true. And for me, that is the beauty there has been a lot of talk about that Lolita shows Nabokov's love affair with the English language because it was only his, I think, third 
language and that the power of language and the power of poetry and the beauty of language that that is the real romantic love affair not the old creep pining for the young girl but the old creep using language to seduce the reader or trying to seduce the reader and the russian author seducing the reader via this at the same time very obviously perverted voice i agree and disagree with the statement that he presents a view of romance and love that can be considered cruelly realistic i think what nabokov does is he takes things to their logical extreme ends the novel is an unrelenting tale he really pursues the ideas and the plot threads he sets up to their bitter end so it starts out as this description of his desire for the young girl, which many people do consider erotic. And then it takes it to its logical, horrid conclusion, which is repellent. I think that's the strength of the novel. It doesn't shy away from the hard and difficult consequences of the actions that people take. It certainly doesn't. But at the same time, the way you make it sound is like a hyper-realistic or naturalistic depiction of romance or this funhouse mirror version of romance. But I think what you have to say about Lolita is despite its kind of realistic plot and depiction, it's extremely artificial because language is so central to the whole of the novel. And that's maybe a question I may ask you in turn. Do you like the style of Lolita? Do you like this very verbose and pretentious and clever style that Nabokov uses, full of allusions and full of clever little word plays and, and even stupid jokes? I love it. Now, this may seem slightly hypocritical after we, last episode, blasted T.S. Eliot for being a pretentious dickwad. But it is just so much more enticingly done here. I have actually noted down several of the examples where I just marveled at the beauty of the language or the beauty of the observations. For example, he describes a house as one where you know there will be a rubber hose attached to the bathtub faucet in lieu of a shower. That's just so perfect. You immediately know what kind of a house he means. Or he talks about the banal darling of the arty middle class, Van Gogh's Arlesienne. Nowadays it would be Van Gogh's Starry Night, but still, the sentiment is very much the same. Or also, because Humbert Humbert is of course a European living in the US, and I was reminded of a lot of the experiences I had living in the US, even though I only lived there for a year. For example, when he says, I have the European urge to use my feet when to drive a car can be dispensed with. And those were also the moments where Humbert Humbert came a bit closer to me. And then I was again shocked and said, no, stay away. Because he's also a pretentious git. Yes. I also agree that I really love Nabokov's style. And what I think the difference is to T.S. Eliot is all the allusions and all the kind of in-jokes he has, he uses to connect to the reader rather than to alienate them, to include rather than exclude. And for me at least... Reading Lolita was extremely influential to my own writing style. That I had the feeling with this very ironic, self-referential and intertextual writing style, I could maybe attain the same thing, express very disparate feelings and attitudes. And I think that is the, again, great beauty of Lolita, that you manage to have so many different views on Humbert Humbert and on the story just by the virtue of the poetic language 
that manages to be poetic without being up its own ass. Thank you. It also helped that I speak just enough French to understand the little interspersions of French that Humbert Humbert or Nabokov throws into the narrative at times. So I was intrigued by these, I understood them, and I sort of patted myself on the back for having remembered enough of the seven years of French that I took in school. What you should take away from Lolita, maybe, is that you should really not believe Humbert Humbert, and that you have to come up with your own opinion about what he says. Describing nymphettes as somehow, I don't know, naturally sexy and aware of their own sexuality, that is territory I really wouldn't want to go. Yes, because there we come into society's general attitude to sexuality and women and young women. But I would like to say that I think the case for the defense of Humbert Humbert is strengthened by the general tendency of society to blame sexual abuse on the victims. And it is weird because especially the sexual abuse of children is one of the most abhorred things in society. One of the most common crimes that people put forward as a potential candidate for the death penalty or the reintroduction of the death penalty. But at the same time, it is weirdly accepted. At the same time, institutions cover up sexual abuse, be it the church, be it the BBC, be it sports clubs, all over the place, sexual abuse of minors is being hushed up. And at the same time, people make loads of excuses for people who are accused of sexual abuse of minors. Oh, yes, but he's a very disturbed man. Oh, yes, but he's a great artist. Oh, yes, but she kind of wanted it as well. And that is actually a case that has been made for Lolita as well. Brian Boyd, who wrote a biography of Nabokov in the early 90s, actually claimed that it cannot be considered a rape when Humbert Humbert allegedly seduces Lolita or she allegedly seduces him because Lolita was not a virgin before and had had sexual intercourse with a boy of her age. And that is just fucked up. And that is obviously not what Nabokov intended and his biographer should know that. Yes. Anyways, I think... I still disagree with you. You sound too much like John Ray in the prologue, that you read this as a case study for modern society and how to deal with the problem of pedophilia. And maybe that is one of the points of criticism you might level against the book, that it is not that much about pedophilia as a topic. It is about many things that are connected to it, and pedophilia is central to it. But pedophilia is not the subject of Lolita, in my opinion, at least. I think it is a kind of case study. Not a case study as much as a character study. It is a portrait not of Lolita, but of Humbert Humbert, this monstrous individual who presents himself to us in his beautiful language. Exactly, it's a self-portrait, and therefore it cannot be a personality study, or whatever you call it. Maybe indirectly, yeah. by the way he presents himself. We, of course, have to be on our guard constantly, for we know that the narrator is trying to mislead us, and we realize that the narrator is unreliable. But it still is a fascinating character study. Even an embellished self-portrait can tell us something about the person who paints it. I would also like to talk about periodization very briefly with you. Is this a modernist novel or is it a postmodernist novel? And does that distinction even make sense? 
Well, as always, such distinctions only make as much sense, as much function you can draw from it, as much work you can do with it. And Nabokov is often considered a kind of a gateway between modernism and postmodernism, not as explicitly postmodern as the authors that come after him, Thomas Pynchon, John Barth, and so on. But comparing Lolita again to The Wasteland, I would consider Lolita to be more on the postmodern end of that spectrum. Because what is central is this level of discourse, this level of representation, and that we really can't learn anything about some objective truth. We don't know what Humbert Humbert is really like. We don't know what Dolores is really like. We don't know whether anything here happened at all, the way it was presented. And that Nabokov doesn't present that as something horrible or empty, which is T.S. Eliot does, but rather that he celebrates the independence of the discourse level, of the language, of the representation. That to me makes it more postmodern, even though the tone seems more anchored to the early 20th century than to the 60s or 70s or whatever the heyday of postmodernism is. Not the 60s and 70s. Nothing of worth was produced in the 60s and 70s. I beg to differ, but that, again, may be a topic for another edition of this podcast. I would also agree that it is more a postmodernist novel, partly for the reasons you've already mentioned, but also because it has a very fascinating, ironic distance from one of the central obsessions of modernism. We have talked a little last episode about these things that modernists clung to to find meaning. And one of these things was, of course, psychoanalysis. And that is viciously satirized in Lolita. Humbert Humbert is a literary scholar. And nowadays, literary scholars are the only ones who really give a hoot about psychoanalysis anymore. Word. And he also sort of meddles in psychoanalysis. And then he meddles in social work as well. He's one of these all-rounders who, just by virtue of being a white, academically trained man, thinks he can do everything. And he refers to psychoanalysis constantly, partly when talking about his own condition as a prisoner who is being evaluated psychologically, of course, but also he says that he has always been interested in psychoanalysis. And he refudiates some of the tenets of psychoanalysis when he, for example, says, oh, well, just recreating the unsuccessful first sexual act with the love of my childhood would not have rid me of my obsession with underage girls. But he also says that he has always been a loyal follower of the Viennese medicine man, which is a brilliant description of Freud, I think. So this obsession and this ironization of psychoanalysis makes it very postmodern to me. So, what is our verdict? Should you read Lolita? Well, I think I've made my position quite clear, definitely. Because this is a book that is just fun reading, despite the horrid graphic nature of the plot and the monstrous nature of its narrator. It draws you in. It uses language in such a beautiful and interesting way that you can't help but follow Humbert Humbert to the bitter end. And even if you don't get the illusions or you consider it to be a somehow morally reprehensible book, you can still read it and maybe enjoy it for the scope and the style. 
I would agree that you should also read Lolita, but for slightly different reasons. I think you should read it precisely because of the monstrous nature of its narrator. I consider such character studies of horrible people very fascinating. And maybe that's something we will come back to in a future episode, which will be on one of my favorite books, American Psycho by Bret Easton Ellis, but that's in the far distant future. And I think there are a lot of similarities, really, that it is a portrayal of a deeply disturbing, violent person told in their own voice, but it's utterly enchanting. It is utterly seductive, not in an erotic way, but in a linguistic way. Where is the difference? Again, you continue to disturb me. <laughs> so we recommend Lolita. We consider it to be not only great, but good literature. But still, maybe you don't want to read it. Maybe it is too much. Maybe we've turned you off it. And that's okay. We still can recommend other books. For example, if you don't want to read about a pedophile, you can still read another book by Nabokov that deals with many of the same topics, also with a kind of unreliable and obsessive narrator, but that has a much more intellectual subject matter. And that novel is Pale Fire, a much more explicitly postmodern novel. It is basically a poem, and then the novel itself is a commentary on said poem, and the narrator, the commentator, is also quite unreliable. But the magic of language, of fiction, and imagination is presented in a really fascinating and surprisingly suspenseful manner. So if you don't want to read about 40-year-old men that try to have sex with 12-year-old girls, Pale Fire is not only a safe option, but very rewarding. I really struggled with coming up with a recommendation because, well, for one thing, I just considered, yeah, I will just recommend Lolita. But as Christian said, what if you feel squeamish about reading Lolita? Well, for one thing, I can recommend the audiobook that I actually listened to rather than rereading the entire novel. I listened to an audiobook read by Jeremy Irons. And his dulcet, soothing, purring voice is the perfect narrator voice for Humbert Humbert and makes you, as Humbert Humbert does with his narration, feel for this inhumane person. Now you disturb me. But I decided to recommend something else instead. I would recommend that you do read Lolita, but if you feel bad afterwards and want to take a bath in Clorox, as I did, read Granita afterwards. It's a very short parody of Lolita, published in 1958 by Umberto Eco. Umberto Eco, who was 27 at the time, read Lolita in the Italian translation. And in the Italian translation, Humbert Humbert is actually Umberto Umberto. So he felt kind of bad with having this horrible character share his name twice. And so he wrote Granita about a young boy of 16 to 18 years old who pines for old women who are in their 70s or 80s. And Umberto Umberto then abducts an old woman, takes her on his bike around Piedmont, and instead of going to all the tourist traps of North America, they go to all the tourist traps of Italy. And it is very entertaining, and it's an interesting reversal of Lolita. So I would say read Lolita and then read Granita as a palate cleanser. So, solid recommendations? What else is there to do in this episode? Well, if you disagree with us, you can, of course, write to us on outside of a dogcast at googlemail.com. And if you're very lucky, you can actually be the first person to have listener mail read out in the show. You can also go to outsideofadogcast.com where you can find 
other episodes of our podcast and more information. And as a special bonus, next week we will publish two blog posts about the two film versions of Lolita, one by Stanley Kubrick in the 1960s and one by Adrian Lyme in the 1990s. So read these blog posts, leave a comment, send listener mail, and please also review us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, and subscribe to our podcast there. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your parents. Tell your sister. Tell the 12-year-old girl that you pine for. Okay, on second thought, maybe don't tell her you're sick fuck. <laughs> so, give us feedback. We're thankful for all of it. Most of it so far has been given to us in person because everyone who listens to the podcast so far is actually a friend of ours. But thank you for that feedback as well. And Christian, if people want to hear some more of you or read some more of you, where can they find you? They can find me, hopefully not in prison because I've killed someone, but rather on the internet at thevertoviandog.wordpress.com where I write about films rather than books. And Jonas? I can be found on Tumblr and Twitter, where I'm called A Modern Dandy. So, that has been our episode on Nabokov's Lolita. We hope you liked it. We hope you took something away from it. And in two weeks' time, we will read another great piece of literature. What will it be this time, Jonas? To Kill a Mockingbird. Easy. Shoot it. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Feel for this inhumane person. Now you disturb me. What can I say? He's a good-looking man. No, no, cut that out. <laughs>